Mark's Gospel, chapter number 5, and uh, let's begin reading in verse number 22. Mark chapter 5 and verse number 22. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come, lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed. And say this little phrase out loud with me. And she shall live. And Jesus followed him. And much people. And Jesus went with him. And much people followed him. And thronged him. Now we'll leave off the reading in verse 24. And we'll pick it back up again in verse number 35. But before we read it, here's what happens between the narrative. While Jesus is on his way to touch that little girl, that's when that woman with that issue of blood presses through that crowd and touches Jesus and Jesus touches her. There's a couple of things about that that I like. Number one, you can't get lost in a crowd. No matter how many people are trying to get to Jesus, you can't get lost in a crowd. He always recognizes the individual. He can save 10,000 people at one time and yet save everybody one at a time. He is a personal savior. You can't get lost in a crowd. Number two, there's something else I like about this. And that is that there are no boundaries or borders or limits to what God can do. Every time I read this text, I'm reminded of the song. It is no secret what God can do. And so while Jesus is touching this woman, that's when the messengers come back again. Look at verse 35. And while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken unto him, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, say this out loud with me, Be not afraid, only Believe, that sounds like that faith he preached on. For the sake of time, watch your Bible in verse 42. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. That means they looked at each other and said, Wow! Wow, they were astonished with a great astonishment. And I'm glad tonight when it comes to doing what nobody else can do, our God excels in that. I believe what we have before us tonight is one of the most vivid and clear pictures 
of intercessory prayer that you'll find in all of the Bible. And I believe tonight the most needed praying that we'll ever do, the most important praying that we'll ever do, and yes, the most rewarded praying we'll ever do, are the prayers that we pray on behalf of each other. You remember what the old preacher Paul said to the young preacher Timothy? He said, I would that prayers, supplication, and intercession be made for all of the saints. I really believe it tonight. The greatest thing you can do for somebody is pray for them. I believe the greatest thing someone could do for you tonight is to go to God on your behalf. In fact, a matter, most of us are in this room tonight because somebody prayed for us. Somebody got a burden for us. And somebody touched heaven for us. If you're in this room tonight and there's somebody in your life that loves you enough to pray for you, you are a blessed individual. Can I say that again? If you're in this room tonight and somebody loves you enough to pray for you, then you are a blessed individual. I'm glad the God we serve tonight is alive. I'm glad the God we serve tonight is able. I'm glad the God we serve tonight is awesome. But I'm glad the God we serve tonight is accessible and available. I'm glad he is the great high priest which can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I'm glad he's a God we can get a hold of. And I'm glad he's a God that can get a hold of somebody because we went and got a hold of him. I really believe tonight that nations have been changed because somebody got a hold of God. I believe broken families got put back together because somebody got a hold of God. I believe churches have experienced revival because somebody got a hold of God. I believe wayward sons and daughters have found their way back to home and God because somebody got a hold of God. Somebody got a hold of God and God got a hold of them because somebody got a hold of God. And in our text here is a picture of a daddy and he's got a little girl. And she has a need that daddy cannot meet. So daddy goes and gets Jesus. And brings Jesus to their house. And Jesus does for the daddy and the daughter what the daddy couldn't do for themselves. And with that in mind, I want to preach tonight for about three hours. Praise God. God, I feel a spell coming on. On somebody, go get God. Somebody, touch heaven for somebody else. I believe tonight that Abraham touched heaven 
for his nephew Lot. I believe Moses touched heaven for the nation of Israel. I believe Paul touched heaven for that infant church. And I know one day Jesus touched heaven for all of us. Because there's one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. And if you know somebody in your life tonight that has a need, and it's out of our pocket and out of our hand and over our head, let's go get Jesus. Because there's no boundaries and limits or borders to what he can do. Notice three things in the text tonight about this intercessory prayer. Number one, I want you to see the mandate that drove this man to Jesus. You say, now Brother Joe, why would you use such a strong word, mandate? Well, let me say it like this. What would cause this grown man to go all the way across town and lay aside his religious garb and bow at the feet of Jesus and beg him like a little child to come and touch his little girl. What would make a grown man do such as that? Well, I already told you in my introduction, he is a daddy with a daughter. He is a daddy with a daughter. And if you don't understand that, then you've never been a daddy with a daughter. Because a daddy with a daughter is a root man. A daddy with a daughter is a man that's been manipulated his whole life. Because a man with a daughter will do things he said he would never do. He will go places he said he would never go. He will buy stuff he said he would never buy. All because the daughter looked up at him with that manipulating look she got from her mother and said, Daddy. Down south we spell it D-I-D-D-Y. Daddy. Daddy, please. My daughter comes up to me and she'll say, Oh, Dad, I just love to hear you preach the Word of God. You know what that means? Get your wallet out, Bubba. Something's about to take place. I mean, I made my brags all across this country when my little girl was small how I hated cats. And the best cat was a dead cat. And there'd be no cats at my house. Oh, but one day, the daughter said, Daddy, please, can we get a cat? Guess who got a cat? But then I put my foot down. I said, now you listen, that thing's an animal. It's going to stay outside. It's not coming in this house. Brother Fox, one night, the lightning flashed and the thunder rolled and the wind blew and the rain descended. And she came and said, oh, Daddy, flee, flee, flee. Flee, flee is outside in the storm. Her, her name was Roberta. Now, you know you're a redneck if you got a cat named Roberta. She's out there in the storm. Please let her come inside. Well, guess who came inside? 
Guess who jumped up to bed with me at two o'clock in the morning? And I told her this, when we got it, I said, now listen, it's an animal, and I need to tell you up front, if it gets sick, it's gonna die. I am not going to take my hard-earned money and spend it on a vet for a cat. If it gets sick, it's dead. Oh, one Monday morning before I went to the airport, I had to make some hospital visits. And I didn't know that during the night, Roboter had climbed up in the motor of the car. So when I cranked it up, bam, I mean, fur is everywhere. Man, I ran, I threw that hood up and there it laid. You say, what did you do? I called 911. I never found 11 on that dial, but I called 911. Oh, I wrapped that thing up in a blanket. I put it in a box. I put it in the back seat. I turned on my emergency flashers. I, I, I run over blind people and old people and crooked people trying to get to that vet. Man, I pulled them there on two wheels. I ran in there and threw my credit cards down and I said, if that thing's got nine lives, I want to buy at least one of them before I get out of here. And I did all of that. I did all of that because that little daughter has crawled up in Big Daddy's heart. She's got me right there. He's a daddy with a daughter. But according to our text, they're not having a party. They're not having a Switch 16 birthday party. They're not having a graduation party. According to our text, the Bible said she is at the point of death. That means the very next breath may be her last. That means her next heartbeat could be her last. That means the very next second that ticks off of the clock could be her last. She is at the point of death. And notice who this daddy is. Notice the Bible says he is a ruler of the synagogue. That tells me something tonight. He is a man of power. He is a man of authority. He is a man that tells and commands other grown men what to do and they have to do it. But yet he does not have enough power or authority to command the disease to leave the body of that little girl. For the first time in this man's life he has come up against something that's bigger than him. He has no control over the situation. His power, his position, his authority is not enough. He can command a group of soldiers that garb the synagogue and they obey his every command, but yet his authority is not enough to command the little girl to be healed. His power, his authority is not enough. Notice what the Bible said. He is a ruler of what? the synagogue. This man is not an immoral person. He is not a thief. He's not a drunk, a profaner, a fornicator, a cusser. He is a good, moral, religious man. He is the ruler of the synagogue. That means he knows the Old Testament like the back of his hand. He is a good, religious, moral, upstanding man. 
But yet his morals, his religion, his goodness is not enough to heal the disease in the body of that little girl. And by the way, it needs to dawn on all of us tonight that religion and morality is wonderful, but it exempts or isolates no one from the storms and the troubles and the trials and the tragedies of life. Don't you dare believe the prosperity gospel that's propagated across the radio and the television that if you're saved and right with God, you won't ever have any problems. And if you go to church and live right, everything in your life is going to be perfect. You do not find that in the pages of God's eternal word. Bad things, uncontrollable things, hurtful things happen to good religious Moral people. And someone said, well, if I get saved and I serve the Lord and things are going to happen anyway, why do I want to get saved and serve the Lord? Because you'll have a refuge and a hiding place and a Savior and a shepherd and an anchor and a rock to lean on in the midst of your trouble till the storm passes by. His power is not enough. His authority is not enough. His religion, his morals... It's not enough. I see something else in this text. He has some land. He has a house. He has a wife. And he has a daughter. That tells me something. He's a man of means. He's a man of money. You say, how do you know he's got money? Because it costs money to have land. It costs money to have a house. And if you put a wife in that house and a daughter with that wife, somebody better have a job. I tell young men across this country, the greatest way to get your girlfriend's mother and father to like you and trust you, get a job. That helps every time. The other day my daughter called me. She said, Dad, my car won't start. I said, talk to Meathead. You married him. <laughs> she said, he don't know anything about it. I said, you said thought about that before you married Meathead. <laughs> He's got... I'm just telling you how I feel. Yeah. i got to get it off my chest. I've got some stuff I need to get out tonight. Yeah. He has enough money to buy land, he has enough money to buy a house, he has enough money to buy a family, but he doesn't have enough money to buy her health. He doesn't have enough money to buy her another well second. He can't buy her a moment. He can't buy her an hour. He cannot buy her a day. I don't know about you, but to me this is a picture of total helplessness. Total despair, absolute, absolute, absolute desperation. Here's a man whose authority's not enough, his power's not enough, his position's not enough, his morals is not enough, his religion is not enough, and his money's not enough. Here is a man that is at a place where it's beyond his pocket, it's over his head, and it's out of his hand, and all he can do is stand there helplessly and painfully watch his little baby girl slip out and do eternity. 
Oh, but as Paul Harvey says, page two, here's the rest of the story. There is another option. He can swallow his pride and admit he's whooped and go get somebody that's bigger than him. That's got more power than him. That has more morals and godliness than him. That has a whole lot more money than him. And that's exactly what he does. I see this daddy as he leans over the waning body of that precious little girl. And he says something like this. Baby, daddy's power's not enough. And my authority's not enough. And my religion's not enough. And my morals is not enough. And my money's not enough. I can't buy my way out of this one. I can't politics my way out of this one. I can't work my way out of this one, honey. We are in a jam. But I've heard about another father. And I've heard about another daddy. And I've heard about another friend. And he's willing to swallow his pride and leave that little girl and go get Jesus and let Jesus do what the daddy cannot do. His desperation drove him to Jesus. Some people's desperation drives them to the world. Some people's desperation drives them to the drug world and the alcohol world and the sin world. My daughter's an attorney in our county, the county below us. They were having a very stressful day at the courthouse and so they were walking out, her and a bunch of the other attorneys and one said to my daughter, said, would you like to go across the street and get a drink? And he wasn't talking about Coca-Cola and Mountain Dew and Dr. Pepper. She said, oh, no, sir, I, 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 don't, I don't drink. That, that man was amazed that she did not drink alcoholic beverages. He said, you're kidding me. She said, no. He said, when did you quit? She said, I never started. And he looked at her and he said, oh, Joanna, how in the world do you deal with all of this stress and all of this pressure we're under? How do you deal with that? She said, well, I go to church. I read the Bible. I pray. And he looked at her and said, wow. She said, now you started it. Let me ask you a question. Why do you drink? Why do you go to the bar? Why do you do that? And this is what he said. Well, that's all I know to do. That's what I've always done. And that's just what we've always done. And, and my daughter was telling me this and she was crying. And she said, Daddy, really? He's telling you the truth. Most people do the things they do because... That's all they've ever done. That's, that's, that's all they know to do. And she gave me one of them big daddy hugs. And she said, thank you for telling me. There's another something to do. There's another way to live. And there's another way to cope. Some people's desperation drives them to the bottle. It drives them to the pills. It drives them to sin. But this man's desperation drove him to Jesus. It drove him to Jesus. And may when we get desperate, may we go get Jesus. And and see what he can do. The mandate that drove this man to Jesus. Number two. Notice in the text tonight. The mission that directed this man to Jesus. 
He is a man on a mission. Now when I approach a text, I try to immerse myself in it and I'm trying to put myself in the place of this father. And do you realize what it took for him to admit he's not enough? And to turn his back on that dying girl and walk out of that house and turn his back on that situation and walk in the opposite direction and go all across town to where Jesus is. But if that took some nerve and it took some faith, because the hardest thing for a real man to do is admit, I'm wolf. Especially if he's a daddy with a daughter. You know what daddies with daughters are for? To pay bills. Fix problems. Take care of it. Daddy. And I believe one of the most helpless feelings. I've pastored the same church 36 years. Me and my wife's been married 36 years. For 30 years, I've traveled 48 weeks a year, and I'm on a bunch of boards of mission. I'm I'm on so many boards, I'm bored to death. But I believe the most helpless feeling in the world is when my grown children have a need, and I can't fix it. Oh, you remember when the kids were small? Your wife orders all that stuff for Christmas out of the book. But when they deliver it to your house, it doesn't look like the picture in the book. It's in, my, it's in nine zillion trillion infinity pieces. <laughs> Boy, you put the kids to bed about 8.30 because, you know, he's coming. Boy, you have to put all that stuff together. Boys, a little sweet family. We're going to be ready for Christmas in the morning and, you know, your hot chocolate and your eggnog. Boy, you and her open that box. First thing you do is dump it all out on the floor. Then she reaches and says, Frank, would you like for me to read the instructions? And if you are a real man, you will say, Nope, I don't need those. Let me go to my garage and get my pliers and my duct tape and I'll fix it. Because a real man knows there ain't nothing in the world that a pair of pliers and a roll of duct tape can't fix. Well, glory. And he says, you turn that box this way and you let me look at that picture. And my pliers and my duct tape in that picture, you just said it'd be all right. 1230. <laughs> the duct tape is everywhere. Your fingers are bleeding because you pinched them with the pliers. It's still a mess. And there she stands there. No? Give me one more minute. And finally the sun's about to come up. They're about to come prancing down and she's standing there like this now. 
And finally he says, all right, all right, Ethel, the pliers and the duct tape don't work as good as it used to. Read the directions. And in a sweet, tender frame of voice, she begins to read the instruction. And what happened, Big Daddy, when you followed the instructions, it didn't really take you that long. It's hard for a man to say, I'm beat, I'm whooped. But he had a choice. It means he's whooped or let her die. And I see him as he swallows his pride, swallows that male ego, swallows that self-efficiency, and turns and walks out of that door, walks in the opposite direction. And I'm telling you, he is a man on a mission. I can see someone say, Jarius, where are you going, man? I can hear him say, I'm going for deity. I'm going for sovereignty. I'm going for omnipotence. I'm going for faithfulness. I'm going for power and authority. I'm going for one that doesn't need my power. And I'm going for one that doesn't need my little religion. And I'm going for one that doesn't need my money. I'm going for one that's got all power. I'm going for one who is God. And I'm going for one who owns the cattle of a thousand hills. I hear somebody say, Jarius, how far have you got to go till you get there? And I hear him say, for her, not too far. But, but Jarius, how long is it going to take? And I hear him say, for her, not too long. But Jarius, what all have you got to go through on your way? And I hear him say, for her, not too much. Oh, to see that little girl get better and to see that little girl live. Nothing was too hard. Nothing was too far. Nothing was too long. I'm telling you tonight for God to answer our prayer and save our children and save the next generation and save America and send revival. It is not too far. It is not too much. It is not too long. Let's swallow our pride and go get God. He's a man on a mission. I can hear somebody say, Jarius, are you going for the doctor? I can hear him say, I'm going for the great physician. Jarius, are you going for the lawyer? No, I'm going for the lawgiver. Jarius, are you going for the priest? No, I'm going for the great high priest. Jarius, are you going for the shepherd? No, I'm going for the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and the chief shepherd. Jarius, are you going for the preacher? No, I'm going to the God of the preacher. I got to go get somebody bigger than me, more powerful than me. It's out of my hands. It's over my head. And this is what I love about Jarius. He knew who to go to. And he knew how to talk to him when he got there. Because when the Bible said when he came to where Jesus was, he fell at his feet. He didn't get up in his face. He fell at his feet. You say, Brother Joe, what's the difference between getting up in his face and falling at his feet whether he goes home with you or not? He fell at his feet. And boy, I love my King James. I love this expression here. It said, and besought him greatly. Listen to that phrase. And besought him greatly. It means he begged. 
He employed. He, he, he pleaded. It literally means to pull on one's heartstrings till you get a compassionate reaction. Lord, have mercy. That's the phrase Paul used when he's trying to get you and I to live that life that pleases God. In Romans 12, I beseech you therefore brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. I beseech you therefore brethren, he's pulling on our heartstrings till he gets a compassionate response. And Jairus is at the feet of Jesus and he's employing, he's pleading, he's begging, he's pulling on his heartstrings. He's wanting a compassionate and a loving response. And I love this phrase. Besought him greatly. You know what about Jesus that had so birthed this kind of faith in Jairus' heart? Notice what he asked him in the text. He said, if you will come and lay your hands on her. There was something about the hands of Jesus that had birthed faith in Jairus' heart. He didn't say, come look at her. And he, on a look from the master, would be great. He didn't say come speak to her and the word of the master would have been great. But he specifically said I want your hands to get in this. Come and lay your hands. What in the world about the hands of Jesus could have birthed such faith? Well remember I told you he's the ruler of the synagogue. And he has heard the Old Testament read in his hearing thousands of times. And all you got to do is go to the Old Testament. And it's not long till you bump into the mighty hand of God. Where he created everything with his hand. And he rolled back the Red Sea with his hand. And smashed the walls of Jericho with his hand. And shielded Moses in the cliff of the rock with his hand. And touched Daniel on the shoulder with his hands. Brother, he knew it was a powerful hand. An amazing hand. An awesome hand. A saving hand. He said, oh God, it's in your hand. Think what he's going to do with that hand and what he did with that hand in the New Testament. With that hand, he opened the eyes of the blind. With that hand, he unstopped the ears of the deaf. With that hand, he cleansed the leper. With that hand, he touched the dead body of a little boy and he got up and ate supper with his mama. What a mighty hand. What a mighty hand. Oh, I saw this. I like to knock the back into my choir robe out. Watch what he says. Come and lay thy hands. You see, for 12 years, she had been in his hands. For 12 years, 
Daddy had held her with his hands for 12 years. Daddy had rocked her with his hands for 12 years. Daddy had provided with his hands. But now Daddy realizes his hands are not big enough. His hands are not powerful enough. So you literally have a transaction in this text. He literally takes her out of his hands and he puts her in the Savior's hands. Can I say this tonight? The greatest day in your life and the greatest day in the life of somebody you're praying for is when you take them out of your hands and you put them in the Savior's hands. Isn't it good to know it's in the Savior's hands? Why, our hands are not big enough. Our hands are not powerful enough. But there's no boundaries. And I'm about to enjoy my own preaching right there. There's no boundaries and borders and limits to the mighty hand of God. Aren't you glad tonight? It's in the Savior's hands. Come and lay thy hands on her. And I love verse number 24. It said, and Jesus went with him. And Jesus went with him. Evidently, he was successful in pulling on the heartstrings of the eternal. And he got a compassionate response. And Jesus went with him. And the Lord wants me to tell somebody in this room tonight, He'll go home with you too. If you'll ask him to. The mandate that drove him, the mission that directed him, and then lastly, notice the miracle that delighted this man. In my mind's eye, I can see Jairus as Jesus holds him by the arm and went with him. Boy, I believe if Jairus would have been like me, he'd have been like, Walking on the clouds. I got Jesus with me, man. I got the Lord with me. I believe he's high-stepping it. I believe he's plumb excited. He may be a tad emotional by this point. And he could be saying something like this. Hold on, honey. Daddy and Jesus is coming. Hold on, darling. Daddy and Jesus is coming. I hope she's still alive. Hold on, baby. Daddy and Jesus is coming. And man, why him and Jesus is on the way to touch that little girl. Here comes the crowd. Here comes a throng of people. And all of a sudden, they're just stuck in the middle of the road and they can't go anywhere. And I'm telling you, Jarius is a good man. Because if that would have been me, I'd have got me a stick and I'd have busted some heads and I'd have said, get out of my way. I went and got him first. My little girl is about to die. But Jairus has so much faith, he can wait. He has so much faith, he can wait. He's read Isaiah, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So get this picture in your mind. Here it's Jairus and Jesus and they can't move the throng of people. And that's when this woman 
totally uninvited, sticking her nose in Jairus' business, presses through that crowd and comes up behind the master and touches just the hem, just the hem, the finished work, the last text, the hem of his garment. And the Bible said when she touched the hem of his garment, Here's another King James expression. Jesus said, virtue went out of him. It's the word didymus, dynamite, power, authority. He felt power go out of him. Dynamite go out of him. Energy go out of him. He felt virtue go out of him. And the Bible said immediately that woman was healed. And then Jesus, I love the way he operates. He turns around and says to all that crowd, who touched me? And just like disciples, just, just like their nature, they went. All these thousands of people around here and you won't know who, who touched me? And let me just throw this out at you. When an all-knowing, omniscient God asks questions, he ain't hunting information. You say, well, if God knows everything, then why does he ask questions? He's creating an opportunity for you and I to get real. Who touched me? Brother Dennis, I see that little hand go up. Yes, you. Why'd you touch me? Speak. Now watch this now. Jairus is just hanging out watching all of this. And Jesus engages in this conversation with this woman and she begins to tell him. She said, Sir, uh, the reason why I touched you was this. Uh, I've had this sickness for 12 years. Son, when that woman said 12, I believe Jerry has perked up at 12. Twelve. Did she just say twelve? Wow. That's how old my little girl is. And you know what? If he can heal somebody that's been sick for twelve, he can heal somebody that's been alive for twelve. Evidently, twelve ain't no big deal. And if I counted it right in my Bible, Jesus says something to this woman that he only says two other times in the King James Bible. Now Jairus is hanging out watching all of this and then Jesus says this to that woman. Daughter! He called her daughter. Honey, I believe when Jairus heard Jesus call that woman daughter, I believe he perked up and said, did he just call her daughter? Yes, sir. Wow. He's got one too. He knows how I feel. He knows what I'm going through. And if he loves his daughter, surely he loves mine. If he can help his daughter, surely he can help mine. If he can heal his daughter, surely he can heal mine. You know, he must be in the daughter business. Yeah, he's in the daughter business and the son business and the mama business and the daddy business and the grandkid business. He's in the people business. And so after that's over, you know what I love about Jairus? He has so much faith. 
Brother Fox, he can watch Jesus work a miracle in somebody else's life and not his and not be bitter and anxious because he knows his turn is a coming. Well, after they touch that woman, they finally make it back to the house. And before they can get to the front porch, here comes Mr. Positive Thinker. She's dead. Why trouble us now, the master? You know, when I get to heaven, I like to ask the Lord who that person was. Because whoever it was didn't know a whole lot about the Lord. Because he said, why troublest thou the master? I want to tell that dude, Jairus is not troubling Jesus. And can I say, neither are you. When you and I get desperate and we beg and we call on God, we're not troubling him. We've been invited to the throne of grace. The blood of Jesus, my soul, gives us access to the throne of grace. He wants to hear from us. He wants to hear from us. You are not troubling the master. Call on him. Beg him. Talk to him. You're not bothering him. Excuse me. Whoo! And Jesus. Now, how many believe this tonight? You get more than you ask for. Well, he just said, come up there and lay your hands on her. But Jesus did both. He walked in that house, walked up to that little girl and said, Damsel, arise! And got her by the hand. She got a word and she got a touch. I love the King James expression here. It said, and she arose and walked. I believe that means she went. It's real. It really happened. Oh, I'm not only alive, I can walk. And here's where I believe they were Baptist. And then the Bible said they gave her something to eat. Can you imagine? Being at that table that night for that meal, Daddy goes to pray. That little girl said, Now, Daddy, before you pray, I just want to tell you something. Thank you for going and get Jesus. Things are different now. I'm nobody special. And that's not false humility. If you could hear me pray, you wouldn't come to hear me preach. I'm low down, sorry, good for nothing, no count. And if it wasn't for Jesus, I'd be in hell right there next to the rest of you. No good, no, nothing special. But I'm to tell you something. God will save my kids, he'll save yours too. I was getting ready to go to North Carolina, vast North Carolina. And on Sunday night, the phone rang and the pastor said, Brother Joe, I don't know why, but I was in my secret place praying a while ago and the Holy Spirit told me to call you and tell you, don't come up here tomorrow. Come Tuesday. We'll start the meeting on Tuesday. You need to be at home tomorrow. I'll, I'll take care of the plane. Don't worry about it. Well, you ain't got to threaten me with a day off. That was before COVID. 
So I went in there and told my wife, Miss Julie, I said, I'm off tomorrow. Boy, that faith kicked in. She went, oh, Lord, something bad's going to happen when you're always home and you're not supposed to be. I said, oh, wonderful faith. She said, shut up. And I did. You can be right, boys, or you can be happy. Boy, the next day we had a wonderful meal together. They come home from school and I got to do something that night I'd only got to do on Saturday and Sunday night. I got to put them to bed. Went to put my son to bed. Oh, Bubba. <laughs> yeah, we got a Bubba. <laughs> All rednecks have a Bubba. City slickers have them too, and they call them Bubbettes. But anyway, <laughs> got ready to put old Bubba to bed, and he got to crying. Now listen, when you get a redneck to cry, it's a couple of things. Somebody stole his dog. Somebody stole his gun. Or his girlfriend broke up with him. I said, boy, what's wrong with you? He said, daddy. He'd heard Tom Farrell preach that weekend. He said, daddy, I need a Bible reason to know I'm saved. I, I know, daddy, you're a good preacher and all that right there. Well, at least he thought so. He said, but daddy, I can't go to heaven because you're a preacher. I said, you're right. I need a Bible reason. I said, son, are you under conviction? Yes. I said, do you want to be saved? Yes. I said, when? He said, now. I said, well, you know as much about it as I do. Get in and call on God. Whoo! And old Bubba, God say, he now works on our church staff in charge of all of our children's ministers at church. And wow, he's been a blessing to me. Two years, two years after that, I was preaching in Yakinville, North Carolina for my father-in-law at that time. And after church, we went out to the uh, Burger King to eat. You say, why did you go to McDonald's? Why well, eat with the clown, man, when you eat with the king? <laughs> All right, you'll get that after a while. And so we, we, there's somebody here who works for McDonald's. Sure in the world, all right. And I said, uh, the phone rang, and it's Miss Arthur, Brian. Brother Ryan, she's, it's, it's Miss Arthur, and she's squalling. Now, when my wife calls crying, she's a strong woman. I, I said, what's wrong, baby, what's wrong? She said, Joanna, your little girl. I said, what's wrong? She's walking the floor. She won't go to sleep. She's afraid she's going to die and go to hell. She said, I, and I didn't mean it this way. It didn't come out right. I said, well, you claim to be a Christian leader to God. I didn't mean it that way, but I said, you claim to be a Christian leader to God. She said, I would love to, but she won't talk to nobody but her daddy. What do you think I said? Well, you need to tell her this is just Monday night. This meeting goes through. No. I said to one of my buddies, I said, you had any sleep today? Why? I said, you want to make a little trip? Where? I said, we're going to Georgia. When? I said, now. Now? Yeah. He said, you got to preach tomorrow night. I said, I'll be back. Let's go. So me and Dale Vance from your part of the world made that five-hour trip about four o'clock in the morning. She's waiting for me. Man, it didn't take long. About 4.15, she was in the family of God. Laid down, got me a little nap, got me some coffee, went by McDonald's and got me some pancakes. Went by Burger King, got me a cup of coffee. I wanted to be a blessing to all of them, you know what I mean? Man, we started up Interstate 85, and let me tell you something. 
Interstate 85 from Atlanta to North Carolina to Virginia, that's one of the main arteries for us traveling preachers in the South. And boy, I've been up that 85 many, many times, and the devil knocked my teeth out on that road by myself in that automobile. Go ahead, big shot. Go ahead, flaming evangelist. Go on up there and preach a revival. Go on up there and help that preacher. I'll take care of your family. I'll make sure your kids go to hell. I'll make sure your family goes to pot. Go on up there, big shot. Help everybody else. I'll I'll just take care of you. Boy, I've ridden up there and heard that. But all of a sudden, Brother Fox, that ride on the way back that afternoon... I couldn't find him. He wasn't nowhere to be found. The devil wasn't nowhere to be found. So I thought I'd call him up. And I said, hey, devil, what do you think about that? God save my family. God save my baby girl. God save my boy. And if you think the Arthur family's special, you just don't know us. Sorry, low down, good for nothing. Ought to be in hell with a back. And if it wasn't for Jesus and the blood of Christ and the sweet Holy Spirit, we'd be there. But God has no respect of persons. And if he'll save my family, he'll save your family. He's in the saving business. Somebody just got to go get God. You don't have to hear me preach much to know my dad is in heaven. He was my hero. He's the greatest Christian I ever met. My mama's a good one too. My daddy was my friend, my pal, my buddy. Taught me how to hunt. Taught me how to fish. Taught me how to shoot a gun. He taught me how to get a girl. Woo! I asked him one time, I said, how come you didn't teach me to play golf? He said, we're Christians. (laughs) He said, Christians don't do those things. I said, Daddy, we hunt and fish. He said, I'm not under conviction about that, but I am that. I said, Dad, it's playing golf a sin. He said, oh, no, boy, it's not. If you play the way I did one time, it's an abomination. I love that man. I still love him. And I've been trying to think in my mind what I'm going to say to Daddy when I see him. And as I'm going to say this night, if you're here and your daddy's still alive, that's awesome. I'm just telling you, you're going to miss him a lot more than you ever dreamed you would. All through this pandemic, I want to call him so bad and say, Daddy, what do I do? What did you do with a pandemic? He never even heard of that. I've been trying to think what I'm going to say. And I believe it's going to be something like this. Hey, Daddy. I love you. I sure did miss you. And I want to thank you for being a good dad. Thank you for providing clothes and a house and food and godly influence. Thank you for being good to me and mama, my three sisters. But daddy, the greatest thing you ever did for me and the whole family is when you went over there and got Jesus. Brought him to our house. Let me ask you this tonight. I'm done. I've had a good time preaching to you. And if you didn't enjoy it, you're the biggest bunch of hypocrites I've ever preached to you. You acted like you did. But I'll just wonder tonight if there's anybody in your life or your world or your family, anybody you know, 
that you love enough to go get God for. Somebody go get the Lord. Somebody needs to get God for this nation we're living in. Somebody needs to go get a hold of God for our churches and our young people and the next generation. You remember this tonight. It is no secret what God can do. What He's done for others, He'll do for you. We're standing together. Father, we love you tonight. And Lord, as Jacob said, crawling on the ground, we're unworthy the least of thy tender mercies. Lord, just because we're unworthy don't mean we're unthankful. We are thankful tonight. And may Brother Fox's message live in our heart. Faith, faith, faith. Be not afraid, only believe. And may our faith get a hold of you and you get a hold of us. Change the scene. Love you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen, Pastor.